please. I sound like Sil from from uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> Vengeance on Barrels. Doctor. The letter O. He is the Aussie fragrant Paul Gannon, and he continues to be the Orgulous Damien Saint John. And this is the Om Nom 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 podcast, the Fictionary. I called you Aussie Fragrant. Yes, you did. It's not the smell of an Argentinian footballer from the 70s. Shame. Uh, Aussie Ardeal is fragrant. I'm sure that was the reference you made, yeah. What do you think it is? Aussie Fragrant. Yeah. I'm going to say, of many smells. <laughs> the multi... Uh, the multi-smell verse. Aussie Fragrant is an adjective yeah. that comes very specifically from 1656. And it is an adjective that means bone-breaking. Oh, I would never have guessed that. Yeah, I know. So if you're tough, if you are no-nonsense, you are Aussie fragrant. That Vinnie Jones. Yeah, he's Aussie fragrant. Isn't he? It implies a kind of flouncy, mercurial character. But actually, no, it's a tough nut. Some guy that's going to snap you in half. Yeah. Like you. You look just unassuming. The guy that would sit in the third row back from the bus. But your comic book knowledge is just... Incredible. It's a bone-breaking, Aussie-fragrant level of knowledge. <laughs> I think you overrate my ability to sit in a pub and not look conspicuous. So, yeah, you are Aussie-fragrant. Uh, and do you want to know what? Orgulous. Yeah. The Orgulous Damien St. John. Or gorgeous. Y- yeah. Is close. It? No, you're not at all. Um, <laughs> it's an adjective. It's Middle English, and it basically means haunt. <laughs> I love this word. Haughty. Super, super, Does that mean arro- I'm fat? No, it means you're arrogantly superior and or disdainful. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I picked it, but it made me giggle, even though it doesn't really accurately describe you at all. But then I'm not really bone-breaking, so uh, at this point it's all your just... Your knowledge is, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm outwardly arrogant. No, not at all. Mildly com- a medium, like much like my curry snack pot that I'm having during this podcast. I'm medium arrogant. Yeah, it is medium curry, whatever that is. Demi haughty. Me- yeah, actually semi. Yeah, got semi. Uh, and this is the Om Nom 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 uh, podcast. The sound of ravenous eating, made famous by who? A hamster. The Cookie Monster. Oh yeah, of course it would have been him. We all grew up with the Cookie Monster. Yeah. Who would devour chocolate chip cookies as his favourite? Well, he's such a tormented, tragic soul, though, because no matter how many cookies he eats, he will never swallow a single one. And in 2006, the Cookie Monster was encouraged to show awareness of healthy eating while he went from cookies, which he said were a sometimes snack, to enjoying fruits and eggplant. He sold out, man. <laughs> yeah. He sold out everything mm. he was true to. This aubergine is delicious. No one's ever gone nom, 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 nom with an aubergine. Couscous. Uh, here's a video courtesy of Rocket Boom as the Cookie Monster shows uh, Ginger Australian the correct way to eat a cookie. Look at cookie. That's important. Identify the cookie. Now, smell cookie. Wow, you natural. You're pretty good. Now, you ready for this part? Yes. This is the fun part. Okay. You eat the cookie. But wait. You eat it like this. Ready? Me going to pretend. Okay. Um, nom, 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 nom. She is pretty sexy if you're interested. She she devours that. It's is a thing of beauty. That is one super edit away <laughs> from full-on Sesame Street erotica. 
Cookie Monster, though, has got a really weird eye. Like, I know the science behind puppets is that puppets should never stay still. Yeah. Have you seen this, like, with Sesame Street and others? Because, of course, if a puppet is not delivering dialogue, it's doing nothing, which is why they kind of have to bob their heads and open their mouths silently. And Cookie Monster just seems to have a a rambling, loose eye. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a relation to Pudsy Bear. I think it's probably diabetes-related, judging by the number of cookies he's had in his system. (laughs) Yeah, have more eggplants, and you'll be able to see perfectly. This is the Fictionary, a weekly word-based podcast where we ramble through the dictionary one letter at a time. This week we're on the letter O. You can follow us on Twitter at Thick Podcast. You can find us on Audio Boom, and you can rate us on iTunes. If you give us five stars, you might win a T-shirt. 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 Picture of which is on our. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fake echo. It was. We really don't nice. have the budget for adding the effects on afterwards. No. So I have to. I left the effect from my The echo <laughs> thing is just a matter of the last sound rather than the whole word. So what you want to do is say, last echo, echo, echo. I'll chill a little. I sound like Syl from, from uh, Doctor Who, Vengeance <laughs> on Barrels. Doctor, what are you doing? Of all the villains to name from Doctor Who, you pick one, not only from the 80s, but from the much-reviled Colin Bacon's Bacon series, although Colin Bacon might be closer in actual fact. But really, still, I mean, that, that was who was that? David Davenport was. Uh, that? It's a little fella. Yeah, he was one of the time yeah. bandits. I'm sure. Yeah, because he sounds like jelly. That's how I remember. Yeah, doing he was it. vicious and horrible. Labyrinthiotardis, doctor. So you give us five stars, you might win. A, <laughs> you, you might, might win, win a, a T-shirt. Impression. I designed it myself. It's brilliant. Time for this week's word workout. It's an anagram of an O word. Paul Gannon and yeah. anyone listening to this has until the end of the podcast to work it out. You have a one in 27 chance of getting it correctly. It is a UK number one single that begins with the letter O. The anagram... <laughs> you seem way too impressed with yourself on this. Like a little naughty boy who's hidden a little trick somewhere. Doctor, what's your anagram? Come on, just get on with it. This is painful now. <laughs> The anagram of a UK number one single, one in 27 chance of getting it correctly, a pig on idiot AIDS. A pig on idiot, a pig on idiot AIDS. Yeah. Right, so. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a number one single in the UK, one in 27 chance, only 27 number ones in the history of UK music up until 2011 that begin with the letter O. Got to the end of the podcast to work it out. Time for this week's big four words. Here we go. Over the shoulder boulder holder. Oh, I like that. It's going to be one of those episodes. It is going to be one of those episodes, isn't it? Over the shoulder, boulder holder is slang for bra. Yay! When was the bra first invented? The bra was, I actually know this, was first invented in, I think, around 1800 by a Roman uh, designer artist called Maximus Juggalus. Mm. And he initially wanted to just basically create two gloves. That you'd attach to each breast and then tie the string around the back. Chest gloves. Chest gloves was the original name for bras. <laughs> and um, long story short, his he didn't put the patent in. Someone nicked it. Whoever nicked it is the person you're about to say now. Great guess. The, there is an urban legend about the man who invented the bra. The urban legend claims it was a man called Otto Titzling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I now I feel stupid because what I made up was never as yeah. good as the reality. Who lost a lawsuit with Philip de Bra. Uh, right. The origin of this story is a 1971 book called Bust Up, the uplifting tale of Otto Titzling nice. and the development of the bra. But it's widely thought to be false because, in fact, we've had bras or bikini-like garments since 1400 BC. Ooh. The Minoan civilization first credited with uh, over-the-shoulder boulder holders. Uh, there are 36 bra sizes. 
The world's best-selling bra is by Triumph International, not the motorbike manufacturers, no. uh, but it's called the Doreen. Oh, which is your standard laced bra, your standard old Commodore yeah. Garden. Other bras include, if you're looking for other bra types, backless, balconette, convertible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Shelf, full cup, demi cup, minimizing, padded plunge, posture, push up, racer back, sheer, nope. strapless, t shirt, underwire, underlined, and soft cup. What happened to peephole? Uh, <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> Nearly every carry on for my ever. A peephole. That's true, actually. They didn't survey anyone that ever goes to Anne Summers. Or uh, anyone who is what? a massive fan of British yeah. innuendo comedy from the <laughs> 1960s to 70s. Well, in fact, there's no mention of edible, which is interesting. Edible bras. Yeah, made of refreshers. Oh. What other facts do I have for you about breasts? <laughs> no, I think that's it. I've hit Good, because, you know, I got this far in life without ever knowing anything about breasts. I was looking for other slang for bras, but over-the-shoulder boulder holder was by far my favourite. Yeah. So I could reel off others, or you could just, uh, you could just Google Create your it. own. But there you go. Slang for bra, over-the-shoulder boulder holder. So the word I bring to you today is a word that I... It's a word that I thought would be quite common and thought I'd do the research on it anyway. Ocarina. I like where you could go. I'm interested. So ocarina, it's a noun. If you don't know what an ocarina is, imagine a big stumpy flute. It's a small egg-shaped ceramic, usually terracotta or metal wind instrument with holes for the fingers. It got its name, its modern use from the late 19th century Italian from occa, meaning goose, which, you know, refers to its shape. (laughs) Apparently, this instrument's been banging around for over 12,000 years. Uh, Longer Um, than the bra? About the same time as... I'm trying to raise the classiness of this a little bit. So the bra is older than an ocarina? Yes. A knockerina? (laughs) I think I'm going to have to ban him of meeting curry (laughs) ever again. It's been popular in Japanese and Chinese culture. My girlfriend who speaks Japanese tried to teach me the longest time how to say the word ocarina in Japanese. I'm going to try my best now. Okay. Tsuchibu-e. I don't know if I got that right. Tsuchibue. Tsuchibue. I don't know. It's that, though. Tsuchibue. Or eh. But why nearly anyone might know that word is because of one reason. And you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Zelda. 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 The best, one of the best video games of all time, Zelda. Um, oh, which one, though? Well, this Zelda, is the thing. Zelda 2. No, not Zelda 2, which theoretically comes furthest in the timeline from any of the Zelda games. Yeah. But no, we're not talking about that one. Uh, we're talking about the one that's currently lauded as the best Zelda game of all time. It's the Ocarina of Time that came yeah. out for the N64 in, I believe, let me just get this right, 1998. I think so, it yeah. Notes. Good, good knowledge. Um, and I love playing that game. The Ocarina in that was a musical instrument that we used to travel through time. Yeah. Uh, I did a bit of research and it turns out that a gentleman called Terry Garrett started playing it in 2011, finished playing it last year around August. Wow. It took him, what, five years to play? Yeah. Uh, and complete. Do you know why it took him that long? Because uh, he would play it for 60 seconds per day. No, because he was blind. He was completely blind and he learned to play all the way through the game by using sound cues and walkthroughs and things like that. He had a PC hack of it, which means he could save at any point. So through trial and error, he spent five years going through that game and completing it to the maximum (laughs) intent. And that... Maximum respect. It shames the average gamer. We need a sound effect. And also, as a little parting note, my surname is Ganon, and the villain in Zelda is called Ganon. And when I work for Nintendo magazine, can you imagine the number of witty articles and letters sent to me by readers of the magazine saying, your surname is the same as Ganon. Are you a great big pig monster? So the magical time-travelling stubby flute is the ocarina. My word for you next is office ghost. Oh, is this another urbanly legendary thing? Yeah, the person at work who does a job, but A, you don't know what they do. Right. B, someone in the company who you know exists, but you've never seen them. 
or C, someone who works in the company and then they've left as announced by an email, but you never met them. Ooh. Like that does happen occasionally where we work. It'd be like, so-and-so has not passed their probationary period and has left the company. And I go, never saw them. Maybe they just didn't ever turn up. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the sixth sense of yeah. office employees. Yeah, I see dead people I and see office, office workers. A recent article in the China Post states that nearly 87% of Chinese office workers actually believe in ghosts. That doesn't surprise me at all. Very superstitious people. Yeah, over half will wear hand art, necklaces, crosses, or even place a crystal ball on their desks to keep ghosts at bay. It works. Crystal balls definitely work. How do you feel about ghosts? I went ghost hunting for six, six years of my life. Quick ghost question. Yeah. Uh, is any of the science in the original Ghostbusters film true yes and no theoretically a proton pack is possible whether it can catch ghosts that's a different thing also a lot of the science that comes from the ghostbusters film is based on a lot of lovecraft stories specifically the shunned house which is basically ghostbusters 100 years before ghostbusters was written Uh, but there you go office ghost someone who uh, has a job at work you don't know what they do someone you never see or someone who leaves and you never ever met them office ghost right next one this word is on a monomania. I feel that should scan with some kind of record. You gotta do, you got to say it with me. Oh, I know it. You know it, I do know you? It. Hang on, shift now, I'll get it. This has um, become a gimmick now where one of the words I use, I try and scan alongside an yes. 80s hit. <laughs> on a monomania. <laughs> on a monomania. <laughs> on a mamma we can't be good, we can't be good together. I don't know what the actual lyrics are at this point. So, on a mona. On no mamania. O N O M A M A N I A. It is a noun, it is a meaning, and that meaning is an abnormal obsession with words or names. It also can be a stretch to be an obsession with turns of phrases. Like, have you ever had a turn of phrase lodged in your head? Yeah. Like when I say, long story short, over and over and over. Or it could be an obsession with names or words, like boys' names and girls' names. Well, I thought I'd do a list. Um, you're going to have to basically find the music for this if you can, but give yeah. me the wizard, you know, the, top of the, op- the whole top of the pops yeah. uh, theme. Start with boys' names. All these names haven't changed since 2014, so starting at five, Charlie at number four, Jacob still hanging in there with a five that's the Bible's fault. Yeah. <laughs> 5,050 children named yep. Jacob last year. Harry in at number three. Jack still at number two. And at number one for the second year running, it is Oliver with 6,649 children named that. You know you why? Because there's so many poor kids in this country. Yes, true. Yeah. And middle class parents who want to call their kids Harry and bloody Oliver. Yeah. When you go to a park in East Finchley in London, that's what you're going to hear people going, Oliver, Henry. Yes. Your hummus is ready. Yeah. As for girls' names, here we go. Up two places to number five, it's Poppy. It's <laughs> been my dream to always do a top ten properly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, down one place to number four, Emily sits just sitting there, there with 3,991 girls' names. Yeah. At number three, up two places is Isla. 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 Isla, Isla Fisher. Uh, yeah. yeah. No change at number two, it's still Olivia. But at number one, again, same ranking since 2013, it is the name Amelia, with 5,327 girls named that year. Which is either from Game of Thrones or your girlfriend. Maybe. Cliché names. So, on a mania, fixation with names or phrases. Yeah. 
Time for a random game this week on the dictionary. We are going military, so what I want Ooh. you to do is get your camouflage on, right, and uh, put smear black paint all over your face, right, and channel your inner Ross Kemp. Oh, this is know your ops. Insert military music. I'm Ross Kemp. Oh, and I'm odd. What, mate? Apart from when I'm having my cuticles done, obviously the nail bar. And I'm going out with Rebecca Brooks. You know it. Have these been real armed force operations during the Iraq War? They all begin with O, obviously, Operation. Number one, Operation Soda Mountain. I'm going to say that is uh, completely false. Uh, it's true. Oh, balls. was a counterinsurgency mission in June 2003. I would have called it Operation Death Bastard. Number two, Operation Santa Strike. That's true. I was it, on that one. It's, <laughs> yeah. It is true. Humanitarian mission to deliver clothes, shoes and toys. Christmas 2003. Yeah, that was big. Number three, Operation Beef Curtain. Oh, well, that... To be honest, that's a personal one. That was me and my wife. It was a bit of a mission. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna go with yeah. Is not. No. But Operation Eagle Curtain was. Oh. Raids and roadblocks conducted by the 101st Airborne Division in November 2003. Number four. Know your ops. Operation Panther Squeeze. Again, that sounds like a more personal thing than an actual operation. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with a true with that one. It is true. Uh, December yeah. 2003, it was nighttime raids. And finally... That's basically what it is, yeah, a yeah, nighttime raid. Yeah, number five, that's what she said. Uh, operation Wolf. Operation Wolf. Now I'm going to say nah to that one. I'm going to say nah. Is correct. It's a bit too generic. It yeah. needs to be Operation Wolf. Holocaust Massacre. Operation Wolf was the 1987 arcade game. That's true. Which I love. Yeah, you I broke, did. You broke character. Oh, yeah, I did. Sorry. But Operation Wolf Pack Crunch. Yeah. Was it May 2004? It feels like it should be a man snack, doesn't it's, it? It should be a man snack. They targeted all... members of the militia. Operation Wolf Pack Crunch. Paul Gannon slash Ross Kemp. You scored. I got three. Two or three. I got three. I'm Ross Kemp. And I said I got oh, three. I bleeding got three. Time for the results of this week's Word Workout. It was a number one song in the UK, beginning with the letter O. Only 27 yeah. uh, got to number one with the letter O. So one in 27 chance. The anagram was a pig on idiot AIDS. Your 30 seconds starts now. A pig on idiot AIDS. A pig on, on idiot, idiot AIDS. AIDS. So it begins with o. But it has to be with O, and there's only two O's in that. Right. I tell you that both O's are next to each other at the beginning of the song. Oh, right. Both, yeah, O, both begin with O. Two O's. The song starts with two O's. Oogie boogie. Ten seconds. <laughs> no, but you can do it. Come on. Ooh. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? Why am I still doing that voice? Who do you think Who do you think you are kidding, Mr. Hitler? No. Uh, ooh, ooh. Time's up. Uh, wait, no. Time's it's, up. Oops, upside your head. No. Oh. May 2000. Number one, beginning with the letter O, two O's at the beginning. Oops, I did it again. Oh, I knew it was an oops word. Britney Spears in her patent red leather suit. The mm. talc budget on that video was enormous. It was astronomical. So the anagram of a pig on idiot AIDS. Oops, I did it again. And that'll do it for this week's episode of The Fictionary. It's oh. been an odd one, but it's been a fun one. I think you'll agree. Won't you, uh, Sil? Yes, I think it's been particularly interesting. This has basically been the impressions episode, hasn't it? If you want to catch up with uh, previous episodes, you can find us on iTunes, where five-star rating could win you a T-shirt, or you can like us and listen to us on Audio Boom. We'll be back next time with the letter P. Uh, but until then, Paul Gannon, I think this podcast has been Ooga Chaka, Ooga 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 Chaka, Ooga Ooga Repeat. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, Infinium. And I thought this episode was largely orgasmic. Yeah, and I would say this week's dictionary has been octocentenary. That's easy for you to say. A word used to describe celebrating things that are 800 years old. For example, the First Baron's War. The anniversary of the city of Dresden receiving its rights. Also, Henry V of Luxembourg was born 800 years ago. But other than that, 1216 was a pretty non-eventful year. Uh, so until next time, have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye. Au revoir. <laughs>